a growing up in New Zealand survey has thrown a light onto bullying, and it shows large discrepancy between what the teachers and students reported about bullying. More than 10% of students said they had been physically bullied. Their teachers believed it to be just over half that. Almost one in three students who said they were experiencing harm reported it fairly often, once every week, once every few weeks. With us is Dr. Kane Meisel, Senior Educational Psychology Lecturer and Lead Author on the Teacher Survey for Growing Up in New Zealand. Dr. Meisel, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Um, good to be here. Pleasure to have you on. Pretty significant uh, survey too. You've got about hundred, what, 775 teachers been asked, so yeah, pretty substantial. And I note that large gap between what the teachers and students reported about bullying. What does that say? Yeah, that's right. There's 775 teachers, um, and they were actually asked about um, children from within the, the Growing Up in New Zealand studies. So it was 1,271 young people that this was in relation to. Um, and we saw that across all of those different items, um, the teachers reported lower rates of, of bullying than what the young people themselves were indicating. What the survey also showed to me, Dr. Meisel, was the ongoing complexities in a modern-day classroom. A lot of pressures both on students and teachers. Would that be fair? Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go straight to our panel. Uh, They'll have questions as well. Ali Jones. What would you or how do you describe bullying? And obviously there's psychological and physical. There was a mention there, I think Wallace was talking about, you know, the uh, actual physical stuff. But how did you define that? Can you just explain that a wee bit? Sure. Yeah, I think that that's a really important question um, because we we do know from previous research that, that young people, if you don't give them a kind of a um, a direction on, on what you're understanding bullying to be, um, then, then the rates do tend to be reported as a bit higher. So one of the things that, that we were very mindful of was ensuring that we were working from the same sort of definition. Mm. Um, so the, the young people and the teachers were given our understanding of bullying, which is um, deliberate, repeated and targeted, um, particularly when there is a, an imbalance of power. Um, you know, so that includes a, a range of different things. It can be um, sort of calling people names. It can be spreading rumours, um, or it can be that sort of more overt, you know, punching somebody um, mm. type of activity. I mean, there's more sort of psychological as well. I mean, what's the phrase we use these days? Gaslighting. I mean, one could see that <laughs> perhaps as as bullying as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm intrigued um, about that. Um, um, divergence between uh, the, what the, the teachers and the, and the children were reporting. Uh, did the children talk about their reasons for not reporting? I, I, because it struck a chord with me. I can remember not saying anything because you knew it would get worse or you feared it would get worse. Yeah, we, we um, unfortunately we don't have uh, the information about um, why they didn't uh, raise it with their teachers so, so that they were asked separately. But, but I do think that the um, the sort of nature of the discrepancy does suggest that that might be a possible explanation. So, um, for example, uh, teachers, when, when they were aware of it happening, they thought that it had happened once or twice, um, whereas the young people were reporting far 
more frequent experiences of bullying. Mm. And, and so it may reflect that, that when it was raised, um, they didn't feel like they got a, a very satisfactory response. Um, and so they didn't um, raise it again the next time. I have to ask, are you involved in the longitudinal study or, or is, were you involved in this, this uh, slight detour that, they, that brought the teachers in? <laughs> Um, both. So ah. I uh, became involved with the Growing Up in New Zealand study in 2015 and um, one one of the key reasons why I was brought in at that time was actually to look at it, at the possibility of a teacher survey and obviously, you know, sometimes these things take longer than we expect and mm-hmm. COVID got in the way and all of those sorts of things. Um, but but I've led the, the teacher survey um, sort of from the initial conversations about it through to getting it across the line. So that's it feels like quite exciting. a rich technique that you can have these overlays that you can apply to the long, longitudinal survey uh, to give you more mm. con- more insight. I, I, hey, could I, can I just yeah, ask sure. you, I wondered whether um, you broke it down demographically or socioeconomically at all to see whether there was prevalence in certain areas. I'm thinking of, I know that um, you know, uh, gender dysphoria these days is an issue too. Was that something that you saw? Uh, so, so these initial reports do tend to be um, a little bit like scratching the surface. Um, right. So there are a number of those sorts of questions that we're really interested in looking at more deeply. Um, but at this point, you know, partly it's, it's sort of we, we have this privilege and in, in the amount of information that's been shared, but you sort of need to um, Take a, a more descriptive look, and then um, you know, once once we've sort of done the initial reporting, then we uh, get to work and and do um, far more detailed analysis. Will you do that? that? That look at those. Absolutely. Oh great. Yeah. I, I can yeah. foresee some fascinating stuff about mm. COVID and about rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know one of the other um, things that they were asked about was their their digital competency and their ability to differentiate false information and um and and I was quite surprised that only 15% of teachers thought that that was an issue um whereas I would expect that we all struggle with differentiating um false information at times mm-hmm. nice to have you on the program Dr Meisel Kyoto that's Kane Meisel there a psychology lecturer looking at this uh growing up in New Zealand survey which has thrown quite the light on Bullying. Uh, more than 10% of students said they had been physically bullied. Their teachers believed it to be just over half that. 16 to 5, the panel, David Slack, Ali Jones joining me uh, this afternoon. And New Zealanders are being targeted by offshore gambling sites because of our lax regulations. According to the Problem Gambling Foundation of New Zealand, gambling can now be done anywhere, anytime from our mobile phones and not just hidden away in casinos. With us is Problem Gambling Foundation of New Zealand spokesperson Andre Frude. Kia ora, Andre. Oh, kia ora, Wallace. How are you? Good. Can you describe or describe what gambling looks like these days online? <laughs> Well, online gambling has just grown exponentially. Um, our Gambling Act was introduced in 2003, so, you know, 20 years ago. So you can imagine what's happened in terms of the development and growth of online gambling over that time. So we've just seen, you know, online 
offshore operators pop up everywhere. Um, and, you know, jurisdictions all around the world have been grappling with how to regulate it. So how do we compare uh, to other countries with our gambling regulation? Well, actually, we're really lagging behind. We're, we're largely unregulated. And certainly most countries in the OECD have some form of online gambling regulation. So we've got our two operators here, of course, that can operate legally, um, which is Lotto and the TAB. But of course, there's so many of these offshore online operators that New Zealanders can legally gamble on. Uh, and of course, they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, our concern is that we need some form of regulation and some really robust consumer protection measures so that people aren't going to become harmed. David? Andre, this is more of an, an endorsement than a question, <laughs> as they say it, right at book festivals. Um, they, and, and, and that is that I grew up, I, I, over the li- course of my life, I've come to realise I think I have an addictive personality. And so I, I had, I was a gambler when I was young, and, and that was more or less the horses. And then um, the, a drinker for a very long time till I got rid of that. I think I, I, I'm kind of thankful that I kind of came to an end with the, the horses um, when I met my wife and she couldn't see what she – it was clear to me showing her what I was doing that it was utterly wrong and I had to stop and, and, and thank God for that. Um, but I also realised that there was something about the, a horse – at a race meeting, you're governed by the, the interval of races. You can only get – well, you can gamble more money – um, but it's each the outcome is 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 de- determined by the the eight or ten races of the day, whereas if you're online, for example, or or, or at, for that matter, um, at a slot machine, you can be gambling as many times as you like. So there, there's a kind of an amplification, like the Richter scale, to it. And I mm. feel for anybody who's in this modern circumstance with the kind of you know inclination I had, where they can go over the edge. Um, in a matter of hours, and uh, you know, when when we talk about regulating it, I, I wonder more about banning the goddamn. Thing. Well, on that note, just stay there, Andre. Let's bring in uh, Ali. You can respond to both. Look, just very simple question: Is how on earth do you regulate something that's like mercury? You know, that's up yeah, in the air, true, that's true. across mm. countries. That I'm really interested. How do you do that? How do other countries do it? Actually, well, it's a really good question. And um, just to respond to that, um, in Australia, they um, have a licensing system. And, and of course, that is effectively, we know that prohibition doesn't usually work. So the best way to approach it is to have a licensing system and then license operators. Uh, And then Australia works with the internet service providers and blocks uh, the other sites. Um, they've also just introduced um, BetStop, which is the self-exclusion register. So that means that players can actually opt out of all of the 150 licensed online gambling providers at once without having to go through each individual one. So that's a good tool for people who want to actually self-exclude, um, you know, for as little as three months or permanently if they want to. Um, but there's certainly definitely online tools that can be and good host responsibility measures that can be implemented to protect people. So there's lots and lots of levers that can be pulled. 
Sorry, Andre, I, I'm wondering about the credit card. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that for a large part, people who are taking part in this are going to have to use their credit card to do it, and therefore you could have be asking the, uh, the, the credit card suppliers to have a control on that. Is that it? Is... Absolutely, yes, absolutely. And that has happened in the UK uh, where they have actually banned the use of credit cards. So oh, it's right. stopping people effectively spending money they don't have. Mm. And we'd really like to see that measure implemented here as well. Mm. Um, but we really firstly need to get our Gambling Act <laughs> um, yeah, brought right. into this techni- um, yeah, age yeah. of technology that we're facing now. Could be a good one to follow up on. But for now, uh, Andre Kiorup, thank you very much for your time there. That's the Problem Gambling Foundation of New Zealand spokesperson there, talking about uh, how, uh, in their view, uh, we are falling behind as a country regarding this online gambling situation. It's 10 to 5, just to sticking in a bit of feedback here. Uh, I am a rail enthusiast. I completed a dissertation at Otago on passenger services in the South Island. The sleeper industry, I love a pun. I interviewed <laughs> several hundred travellers on both the Transcenic and Tidy Gorge Nowadunian Railways. At the time, we had a great product, but apart from Transalpine, it wasn't too heavily promoted. I travelled to Wellington to present my findings, and I'm sure that it was tossed in the round mm-hmm. filing cabinet. Um, and, yeah, but it's surprisingly, or no, I shouldn't say surprisingly, but there's been a bit of interest in Morris dancing. Morris dancing. <laughs> Morris dancing. Does everyone get a vision? Sorry, Wallace. Does everyone yeah. get a vision when you say Morris dancing? Well, I do. Yeah. I very much get a vision. Yeah. Morris dancing is a celebration, a display of dance and music performed at seasonal festivals and holidays to banish the dark of winter, celebrate the warmth and fertility of summer, and bring in autumn's golden harvest. And another one here. Last year was my mate's 60th, and we organised uh, a dancer for him who did the Morris dance. Uh, and Morris dance had uh, a fantastic reaction from. The crowd. It's nine to five. The panel are NZ National with us. We have Ellie Jones, uh, also David Slack. Tomorrow, of course, Friday, and it is Power Ballad Friday. And don't forget our new feature. It's called the Fundy, um, the Friday Fundy, where you email in a grassroots community fundraising effort, and we will help highlight that. You can email me at the panel at rnz.co. Dot, sorry, RNZ. What is it? Dot co. Dot NZ. The panel at RNZ. Oh, I'm dot sorry. Co. <laughs> dot NZ. Now, if you have the pleasure of driving into Hamilton, what does it remind you of? Is my kind of town Chicago? Is my kind of town Chicago? Yep, according to one outgoing MP, it's Chicago. Do you see it? Hamilton and Chicago are both the names of famous musicals. Former National MP Chris Finlayson once called Hamilton Dullsville on the panel. But I want to build the Chicago of New Zealand, says outgoing Hamilton East MP David Bennett, who came in on the 2005 intake. And, well, I thought, well, let's get David Bennett on the show. David, welcome. Good afternoon, Wallace, and that great introduction. I'm laughing all, all the way through it. Well, it's good to have you on, but let's not laugh too hard because I know the great city of Hamilton well. Look, it's got a great expressway. It has an excellent play, playground. But Chicago? Come on, David Bennett. 
Well, it's all relative. And so what I said is I wanted to build the Chicago of New Zealand. So um, the plan was to build an industrial heartland city and it's in the heart of New Zealand and Hamilton. And um, it's where the best industry in New Zealand is based. And we've got a lot of industry coming from Auckland over the last 15, 20 years. And that's exactly what I wanted to achieve. Well, what is going on there then? Well, we're using the location we've got beside Auckland. Um, we're only an hour and a half away. Um, it's a much easier place for a lot of industry to base. Uh, you know, you've got a very strong population, a very young population. It's probably the cost of living is a little bit lower than Auckland and housing. And um, you're also very much connected to the port at Tarawana, where most of New Zealand's import and exports come from. So Hamilton's the logical place if you want to do manufacturing or distribution in New Zealand. Not going to lie, I've seen, I've witnessed the growth, uh, uh, David, of uh, Kirikirua Hamilton for some years now. And actually, to be frank, it's quite something. It really is. That's the, the, This here is quite a growing city. I mean, not Chicago, but it's growing. When you say David, you mean me or David Bennett? You. Oh, terrific, right. Um, look, I, I agree with David. This is uh, that's nice use of metaphor. But I often compare Auckland and Wellington by comparing Sydney and Melbourne. You know, you, um, uh, you the, there's a kind of a, a way about places that you that resembles other larger places. And I think this, I, I like this, and I secondly like the idea that. Uh, all of our little towns that have bleeded bleeded out might might get larger again, and that depends on all of the la- the the the, uh, the provincial uh, cities thriving as well. And the, this vision that uh, David is describing is perfect for that. You Rail know. will help that. Just saying. Hell yeah! Well, that Tahuya um, yeah. is has has been going from strength to strength, and and, and um, great patronage from it, notwithstanding that it's. Uh, you know uh, that it's not the seamless thing it could be, and yet you can now get on and get a daily service, get on a daily yeah. service between Hamilton and Auckland, which is which is stay great. There. And I hope to see more. Stay there, stay there, David Bennett, Ali Jones. When was the last time you went to Hamilton? Yeah, no, a long, long time ago. In fact, we were um, going through it after the earthquakes. That's how long ago it was. It was like a bad episode of the Amazing Race, and uh, so we were out of there like robbers' dogs. But um, the thing I I know about have one of the only things I know about Hamilton is the statue of um Oh, God, who's the guy Riff from... Um, yes. Rocky I mean, I know that's Horror show. the Rocky Horror Picture yeah. Show. And look, and I do know that Hamilton's growing as well, but I also think that the Tahuya and the rail, and, you know, I don't want to flog a dead horse here, but I do think that that has probably made a, a big difference in connecting Auckland, and, and it sounds like a, you know, a really great idea. I'm just interested, David Slack, what do you compare Christchurch to then? <laughs> if, you can, if you compare Hamilton and Auckland to Melbourne and Sydney, what do you describe Christchurch or compare Christchurch with? Adelaide, maybe. Oh, interesting. Here's one for you, David Bennett. Peggy says, I was born and raised in Chicago, and I've been living in Hamilton since 88, and I love it, but it ain't no Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing I have to mention, though, when you mentioned I want to build the Chicago of New Zealand, David Bennett, one thing that is of note is the... Uh, what I consider to be one of the more extraordinary infrastructure projects uh, is that inland port at Rurukura, which is, I think it's um, been built by Tainui, is that right? Yes, and if you look at that, see, Maersk has moved there, Kmart's moved there, uh, you know, you've got Busy that's moved down to the south of the city. Um, We're getting a lot of that manufacturing from Auckland, and, and that's the, you know, Chicago in America was based on its manufacturing heritage. And it's got a bit of an edge to the city too. You know, um, 
you know, we, we, I sort of compare Auckland to New York and maybe um, San Francisco to Wellington or, you know, the, the, but there's a bit of edge to Chicago. And, and the Wi-Fi Times did their, their front page today and they basically said the Chicago Museum. And then it talked about the Chicago Bulls, the, um, the great basketball team that they had. And, uh, you know, there's just a bit of an edge with, you know, Hamilton, the Chiefs. I'll give you something more, Dave, and that's your, you've got some very good blues, blues artists there, just like Chicago. Exactly. And, yeah. um, you know, you talk about the statues. Chicago and America's got a great arts and culture heritage. And um, they've got a lake, we've got a river. You know, Anish Kapoor, the, 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 the bean in Chicago, Michael Potokofi, city centre Hamilton. Yeah. Oh, you've sold me, David Bennett. I'm coming <laughs> to live there, perhaps, one day. Nice to have you on the programme. There's uh, David Bennett there, the outgoing Hamilton Someone has just pointed out to me, yeah. Chicago is the US rail hub. Oh. Thing. I see so, what you did there. The, yes. <laughs> it's all meshing together, Ellie. <laughs> yeah, well, lovely to have you on the programme, both of you. Uh, David Stake, Ali Moore, kia ora to you both. I'm Wallace Chapman, back tomorrow, Friday afternoon, Power Ballot Friday. Checkpoint. And Lisa Owen is next up. <laughs>